This summer we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and um, we're not going to get all the way through it this summer, but um, we looked at the Beatitudes and called them Kingdom Attitudes, and they present the basis for all that Jesus spoke of in these three chapters. And um, we looked at how Jesus calls us as his followers to have attitudes that reflect who he is as we live our lives in this world. He told us that we need to have a a poor spirit, a, a spirit that recognizes our dependency upon him. He said that we would be blessed if we mourn, mourn over our sin, mourn over our brokenness, that we are to be humble and have a spirit of humility, that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we are to be people of mercy, that we are to have hearts that are pure, that we are to be people that are, are, are the peacemakers in our community, in our families, in our, where we work. And that in doing so, all of these things, that sometimes the response to us is that we are persecuted, but that we are to bear that persecution knowing that it is another way in which God shows himself to the world around us. And so these Beatitudes are all talking basically about the inner character, about our lives, our, 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 our character on the inside that comes out in how we live our lives. Uh, and he goes on, and over the last two weeks, we, we, um, we talked about the two metaphors that he used, the salt and the light, and that we are to be salt and uh, affect our, our world around us, that we are to be light and drive out the darkness around us. And then we're coming to the passage we're looking at this morning that is kind of a transitional passage that, that, um, uh, you know, we're we're talking about really radical righteousness. God is calling us to righteous living. Radical in that it's very different from what the world knows and and what we experience in our relationship to the world. Uh, And he's impressing upon us that this inner righteousness has a tangible effect in how we live. Now, when Jesus came, some people thought that Jesus came and uh, he, he butted heads with the Pharisees and they kind of thought that maybe he was going to just sweep away all of the Old Testament and all that was and, and that everything uh, uh, would be behind and it was a, a new time. Well, it was a new time. But Jesus says here that, that there are... Uh, uh, the, the old was a foundation on which the, the new was going to be built. And so this passage is a bridge that, 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 that tells how this inner righteousness was going to be lived out. That through what the law taught us, if we really understand this righteousness, it doesn't do away with the law, it helps us to live uh, as the law demanded us to live, but not live because we just say, okay, that's what I have to do, but that it comes from within. That's, and then the, the next several passages 
deal with how that is lived out. And we'll look at some of them, but we won't get to all of them over the next couple weeks. Let's look at this passage of Scripture this morning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does the law have to do with us? Laws matter. All right? There's a law in the book that says 55 miles an hour on certain roads. Last night we were coming home and Police had someone pulled over. I don't know what law they broke, but some law they broke, and they were pulled to the side of the road and probably got a ticket and a fine and, and uh, whatever the penalty, the consequence of that was. Laws matter. They always have. They always will. It's been a part of human, of human society since the beginning of time. And we pay attention to laws every day. And if we don't, we know there are consequences. And God has always had rules from creation till now. And he laid out rules that if we followed them then and live as he intended us to, there are blessings that are a part of that. There are, it's beneficial for us. The world into which Jesus came and which he was speaking to at this, in this passage was, a, was a, a world of laws upon laws. Now most of the laws were man-made or enhanced. God had given some laws in the Old Testament to the children of Israel. And the, the Pharisees and the scribes had taken those laws and had... had, had um, added on to them that if this is the law, then this must be, and this must be, and this must be. And so there were all kind of additional things uh, that they were required. Uh, there were some 248 direct commandments that they said everyone had to keep, and there were 365 specific prohibitions, and then there were thousands uh, of interpretations uh, of how that played out. And the Pharisees especially tried to keep them all. And if you look at how they lived, they lived their whole life, their whole purpose, their whole thinking, everything was, how do we keep all of these laws? But Jesus was saying here, basically, though, don't think that I have come to make it easier by reducing the demands of the law that you can just do whatever you want to do because you're a follower of mine and you don't have to pay attention to those laws. He says, far from it. In fact, the righteousness that I am asking of you, if it doesn't exceed what the righteousness of the Pharisees are, then you're not measuring up. You'll never make it. And so 
what Jesus is really getting at here is that the righteousness of our heart is a far more important matter to God than whether I do or don't do certain things. Now, many times we equate that with, oh, it doesn't matter what I do or don't do. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that you can do and not do certain things and your heart can still not be righteous. But if your heart is righteous, then you are going to want to do those things that please God. And so when Jesus says here in this verse, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, those who were listening to him were shocked. This would have been like, you know, take the air out of them. The scribes and the Pharisees made obedience to these laws their life, their passion. And here they were saying that was not enough. But here we arrive at the very heart of the teaching of Jesus. Jesus was saying righteousness is what is necessary to enter the kingdom of God. It's all about what is inside. uh, And what's inside is going to affect how you live. Uh, The Pharisees, that great outer righteousness, he said that's not enough. The external, what people see of you, they may look at you and see this wonderful person, but you can have in your heart uncleanness, unforgiveness, sin, that no one else has sees or they, certain people don't see. And God sees that. And that's what he's judging us by. When we do the outward things, we can be honored and appreciated and revered by people. And many times that motivates certain people to do or not do certain things. And, and so the law, these man-made rules, uh, we, the, 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 it becomes an attempt uh, to reduce God's requirements into something manageable. I've got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Check off my list. Uh, and then we do that, it produces a sense of self-satisfaction that, okay, I accomplished this, I was able to do that. Jesus told of a Pharisee that he used as an illustration, he said, that there was this self-righteous Pharisee that came to pray and he looked over and he saw this despised tax collector standing off to the side. And this Pharisee said, I thank God I'm not like that man. I'm not like that sinner. And Jesus said that's not enough to just be better than someone else. The law of our heart that Jesus is getting at here demands deeper obedience and just being better than someone else. It's not that we're gonna get in a big long line on judgment day from the most righteous to the worst sinner and somewhere there's a cutoff line and we hope we're on the good side of it. No, God says it is the righteousness of our heart that that is going to be what determines. The Pharisees their obedience was quantitative. How many? How many check marks do I have? But Jesus said it was qualitative. It's how deeply you pursue righteousness. Let's look at three questions this morning to try to get these thoughts across to us. The first question is, how, how, what did Jesus do to the law? When he came, 
there was this law, the law of Moses, that had been adhered to for several thousand years by the Jewish people. And Jesus came and he butted heads with the keepers of the law. So what did he do? What did he do to the law? Well, the first thing that we find that Jesus did was he fulfilled the law of Moses. He fulfilled it in his person and how he lived his life. The Old Testament laws found completion in Jesus. In other words, the law demanded perfection, basically. The law said, here are all the things that God demands of a person as they live their life. And Jesus fulfilled that. He was sinless. He, he, he committed no sin in all the time that he lived. So he fulfilled the law. All throughout the Old Testament, there was this sacrificial system that was necessary and was part of the law because people couldn't keep all those laws. They would try. They would, it was kind of like a whack-a-mole. You, you get this one under control and this pops up and, and they, they, they were, there was no way that they could be perfect in their fallenness. And so there was a need for sacrifices. And they would come and they would sacrifice for their sins and that was throughout the ages what had been accomplished or what was the, the system. And they had to do these things because all of the Old Testament was kind of a preparation for Jesus' coming. That there was this need, understanding that there was a need for sacrifice for sin. That when someone sinned, there was a penalty. Death was the penalty. But someone or something taking that sin and that punishment brought redemption. And so it was that all throughout the Old Testament, there was this conditioning, if you please, by God with the Jewish people that when, there, when the Messiah would come, that they would have this understanding that there was this need for sacrifice, someone taking the place for the sin of others. You've probably heard, have heard in school and science um, about Pavlov, the Russian scientist that did these behavioral experiments with dogs, especially is what we think of with him, in which they would, uh, he believed that, that there could be uh, this certain physical reflexes that could be conditioned uh, uh, within animals and, and, and then by that into people. And so he, he, he had this experiments that every time this young puppy was fed, they would ring a bell and the food would come. And when the food, we'd see the food, he'd begin to salivate and, and uh, in anticipation of the food. And for a long period of time, this is what happened. Every time food was brought, ring a bell, he would salivate. And his theory was that when the time came that he didn't bring food but rang a bell, that he would salivate in anticipation even though there wasn't any food there. And sure enough, that's what happened. He got to the point where they rang the bell and he salivated in anticipation even though there wasn't any food. And, and in a way, that's what God was doing with the children of Israel. Every turn in the road, you sin, there has to be a sacrifice. You sin, there has to be a sacrifice. 
And even throughout the prophets and the, and the writings of the Old Testament, he was looking ahead and saying, there's going to come a time when there's going to be the ultimate sacrifice. And all through that time, he was developing within the children of Israel what should have been a natural reflex that when the Messiah came, they would open their arms and receive him. But we know that Jesus, when he stepped into that world, it had been so corrupted by this taking these laws and making them the end that when Jesus came, they didn't hear the bell. They didn't understand. And only the very few that Jesus called his disciples, these men of the street, the men of, uh, of the sea, that heard and listened. It wasn't the ones that should have heard and should have known. And so he fulfilled the law. And then we find that he fulfilled the law by, by giving it a greater inwardness. Up until Jesus is coming, everything about the law was what was on the outside. Didn't matter how you thought or lived on the inside, as long as you kept your plate clean, then you were okay. And Jesus brings the focus much deeper. Jesus tells in his teaching, as, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so he brings that into the inside. And then he fills, fulfills the law by making it positive. And even on the servant on the mount, Jesus begins to move from thou shalt not, as we many times think of the commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But he moves to this is what you should do. And if we look at this passage of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about this is what you should do. This is how you should live. This is how you should act. And he laid out his plan very simply and yet profound uh, that this is how the body of Christ lives in the world. We look around and many times we look at horrible situations that happen in life and maybe a tragedy of a gun shooting or whatever and we think, where was God in this tragedy? You know where God is? God is where we take him. God is where we take him. And many times we look, and I, I even think of, you know, some of what we are experiencing as the Muslim radicals have become so terroristic and are attacking Western values and Western places and people. The church, over time, has kind of ignored the Muslim world. There are very few missionaries, uh, Christians, even living in those places. What if we had fulfilled the Great Commission as God had asked us to over the last 2,000 years? It may be completely different. It may be a completely different place. We sit here in our and, and, and we think of it in that global way, but what about even in our community? What about the, the sin and the brokenness that we see and read in the newspapers? Do we have a responsibility for that? Jesus said we are to live out our righteousness in the world in which we live. And too many times we live out our righteousness in our own private little closet. And we come to church and, and, and get together with other people that are living their lives kind of quietly in their community. God wants us to be salt. He wants us to be light in our community that makes a difference in how we live. And so we take this 
inwardness and live it in an outward way. Why do I need to avoid human-based righteousness? In other words, just acting righteous. It's primarily, it's because it's primarily external and God isn't looking, he's looking past that. He's looking at our hearts. Although the scribes and Pharisees took a lot of time working on that outside, they neglected to care about their hearts. And their hearts were, Jesus said, sinful. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. Sepulcher is a tomb. He said, you're a whitewashed tomb. It's a beautiful whitewashed on the outside, but inside it's full of deadness. Uh, One day, Jesus was addressing the the Pharisees and, and he told them to their face, you're just an empty sepulcher, a tomb, and didn't sit very well. But that's the picture that Jesus painted. We can sometimes try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstrap straps. And we can do things to try to contain our sinfulness. Maybe we have become an alcoholic. We can go to AA and try to get back on track and get that taken care of in our life. Maybe um, you have an anger issue and you can go to counseling and and someone can help you to get over or get beyond that anger and deal with relations with people. And we can go on and on about things that are on the outside that we can sometimes get control over. But God says you can do all of those things and still not deal with the issue of your heart. God demands that we have a heart transformation, not just an appearance transformation. And then... This external righteousness whittles down the standards of the law and causes us to miss the most important parts. The Pharisees were were very good at defining the law. They could take the law and give you umpteen different ways in which you work out that law. Um, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Even today, the Orthodox Jews, in keeping the law, have these kind of things. I I remember a friend of mine that was in Israel, and he comes, and there was an Orthodox Jew at the the, um, elevator, and he was just standing there. And for him, it was a Sabbath day. He was waiting for someone to come along and push the button on the elevator because it was considered work, to push that button. And when a friend pushed the button, then he got on the elevator, but he couldn't push that button because it was working on the Sabbath. And to light a match, to, to turn a, a light switch on is, is work. And so there's all kind of ways that they were very good at defining the law as they wanted to understand it. You could eat on the Sabbath, but you couldn't cook on the Sabbath. You could bandage someone that was hurt, but you couldn't put ointment on it because that was, that was considered work. Uh, and so all of these man-made rules that they, 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 they tried to do to make themselves look good in God's eyes, God said didn't work. 
Now we say, well, we don't do those kind of things. Many times I see people that come to church because they want to get on God's good side. Okay? I need to do better. I need to get my life in order, so I'm going to start going to church. Does going to church get you into heaven? No. Well, I'm going to become a member of the church, and so I'm going to take the class, and I want to try to show that I, that's not going to get us into heaven. It doesn't do anything with our heart. We've got to let God change and transform uh, our heart. Uh, we become masters of rationalizing God's commands uh, that cause us to interpret them the way we want to. You know, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about this, and he said, you're supposed to take care of your parents. But they had this thing that they said that if, if you give all your money to God, then you didn't have to take care of your parents. So they would give all of their money to God, but they were the steward of it. They didn't give it to the temple. They just said, it's God's money, so I don't have to take care of my parents. And so there was all kinds of ways to manipulate these laws to make them work for their own selfishness. Because this human-based righteousness is all about self instead of glorifying God. When we are working out our, you know, trying to, to work in obedience to certain laws, then we can look back and say, look what I did. Look what I did. Westminster Catechism says, ask the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy this relationship that we have with him. Jesus spoke here of this Pharisee that we talked about earlier. Here's the verse. It said, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Apostle Paul also knew what Jesus was trying to teach there, and this is what he wrote in Ephesians. He said, For it is by grace you are saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works so no one can boast. God's got to get the glory. And when my life as a broken sinner, selfish sinner, is transformed so that I live my life in such a way that it gives glory to God and people see my joy in my relationship with him, then God gets the glory. God does not ask for human righteousness. He demands divine righteousness we have to start there and if we start anywhere else we're going to miss the mark there's nothing that joining the church being baptized taking communion showing up every sunday is going to do for us other than 
it could probably put us in a place where hopefully we'll hear the voice of God and begin to listen. But those in and of themselves are not going to do it. There's nothing that your parents have done or your grandparents have done or how many times you do things or certain things that you don't do that when you stand before God is going to be enough for him to say, good, that's good, come on in. It's only the righteousness that is in our hearts that is there because we have accepted what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Acknowledging our sinfulness and recognizing that his righteousness alone is what is going to satisfy the demands of God. And so I submit to his power in my life. I submit to the purifying grace of God in my life. And I no longer have that list that declares to those around me, look at me, I'm pretty good. I got it all down. Look at my checklist. It's all there. The only thing that matters to God is, have you relationship with him that is resulting in a transformed life that you're living life with the attitudes of Christ coming out because he lives inside. So how am I going to live this out? Remember the story of Saul, the apostle who later, the, 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 the man who later became Saul, Paul the apostle. He had been a Pharisee. He had persecuted the church. He had killed many of the church leaders. But he came to that crossroads in Acts where he realized that his righteousness didn't really matter. In fact, it had taken him down the wrong road. He thought that he was doing God's work and God very clearly, as he knocked him off the horse with that great light and blinded him, he realized he had been going down the wrong road. And Paul became a man that understood both sides of this equation. And this is what he wrote to the Philippians. He said, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He said, I once thought that these things were valuable. Yes, or, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through the obeying of the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul is in essence filling out a balance sheet of his life. And here he is listing all the things that he had done, all the times he'd gone to church, all the times that he had done this, done that, all the, the groups that he had been a part of, 
And he said, they're like garbage when you think of eternity. And over here on this side, he said, the only thing I have over here is Christ. My relationship with Christ, my trust in him, what faith has brought into my life. There's an old hymn that I thought maybe we could just sing together. It's an old one. Some of you may remember it. Some of you may not know it. But let's just sing a couple verses of it. And as we do, listen to the words in light of what we are saying of God's grace and what we need. Not another rule, not another thing to do, but relationship. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone in my hand no price i bring simply to thy cross i cling while i draw my fleeting breath when mine eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. How are you and I to live out these teachings of Christ in our lives? I can think of only one way that's possible. And that is a daily surrender and submission of my life to his. Submission of my will to his will and a willingness to be obedient to all that he speaks to my heart. Do you believe that it's Christ alone that is going to provide your salvation? If you're still trying to accumulate a list, if you're still trying to be good enough, and if I do this, then maybe I, I believe that I'll make it to heaven. If you're trying to do certain things, that is not going to do anything on Judgment Day. It just doesn't work that way. Hell is going to be full of humanly righteous people. People that said, I'll do this instead of what God asked me to do. I'll, I'll, I'll do this instead of having a relationship with him. I'll do this instead of submitting my life into obedience to his word. But allowing Christ to inhabit 
my life takes care of the law. Christ living in me helps me to obey what God demands. And as I live in obedience to him, God will help me to be obedient to those things that he requires of those who follow him. I trust that you can pray that prayer that we just sang. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to his cross I cling. God wants to wash me, to cleanse me, to give me the righteousness that is far above anything that any of us could achieve in our deeds. That someday, I'll be able to stand before him and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The well done is not you have achieved the list. The well done is you've been obedient. You've been following. You've been in relationship. God wants relationship with you. Don't settle for a list. Develop that relationship that when we get to heaven, it will just pick up where we left off here and spend eternity enjoying our Creator. Will you stand with me? Can I remind you that this Friday night, we'd love to have all of you back here for an evening of fellowship together. And again, if you don't camp or aren't up to that, want to come and bring a lawn chair and fellowship together, we'd love to have you here. Father God, thank you for your desire to have relationship with us. Thank you for providing for that through Jesus Christ. Lord, it's so easy for us as human beings to try to make a list that we can check off. Forgive us for that. You're standing there waiting patiently that we would just talk to you, that we would listen to you, that we would learn from you what it is to be a Christ follower. Lord, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we see so much of things in our own lives that you're really speaking at. Help us to be obedient. Lord, there's going to be people this week that want to, that need to have someone with more than a list, but someone that has relationship with Jesus. Help us to be that person. Help us to be a bright light in the darkness. Help us to be salt that, that makes you more tasty, that makes you more appealing. Lord, help us to be the light that you want us to be. Lord, we're about to go through these doors. May we be your hands and feet. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.